the Gospel of Mark, which is always direct and to the point, has this terse announcement beginning at the 14th verse. Jesus came preaching. John had been in prison, and Jesus came preaching. God always has a witness. And when they stopped John, someone greater than John began. John was in prison in Judea. Jesus began preaching in Galilee. He came with a twofold announcement. The kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled. In other words, time's up. All of your waiting, all of your expectation, all of the prophecy pointing toward the Messiah, these things have now been fulfilled. And in his ministry, the good news became a reality. For he came to lay down his life for his people. And following the announcement, he made a twofold appeal. And all of this, Mark does so quickly. And it is a summary of everything that follows in the gospel. The rest is commentary. The announcement, the kingdom is at hand, the time is fulfilled. And then the appeal, repent and believe the gospel. Repent, believe, and follow me. Now, when Jesus begins with his message on repentance, it sounds terribly familiar because that was, of course, the message of John the Baptist. This word repentance not heard so much anymore, is still a word with the edges worn off. We can expect to see it at least once or twice this afternoon if anyone happens to watch a football game because someone will have a, a banner somewhere draped over the edge of the stadium uh, wall saying, Repent. You can see it on the side of barns out there, Repent, uh, prepare to meet your God. And many of us grew up uh, having this word thrown at us from the time we could first remember, repent. And it was a scary word. It was, it was not repent and believe the good news as Jesus presented it. It was believe the bad news and you'd better repent. So many of us heard about repentance enough already that we kind of throw up a wall when we hear the word. We're a little bit like that fellow who was sitting at the head table. I shared this with some of you the other day. Uh, he sat there through a long, exhausting speech. It was so exhausting, in fact, that he had gone to sleep. And being at the head table, it was rather embarrassing. So one of his friends sitting beside him and seeing the gavel nearby just took the gavel and wrapped him on his bald head. And when he wrapped him like that, the snoozer awakened 
And his first words were, hit me again, I can still hear him. <laughs> now, many times that's how warm we are toward the whole concept of repentance. We've, we've heard about repentance. We're up to here with repentance. But perhaps what we fail to get, and, and this is what I fail to understand when I was uh, hearing all those messages, is that repentance assumes the good news. You have to go back to the first part of that 14th verse. Jesus came preaching the gospel of God. And the gospel is what? Good news, not bad news. Jesus came preaching the good news of God. He was that good news. He incarnated that good news. And then in the face of that good news, he called people to repentance. People uh, repent because they've been exposed to the good news through a word, through a person, through the Spirit of Christ. They have been presented with good news and then the call to repentance follows. Repentance presupposes something good happening in your life. I think about that story I read in the paper last year about that 87-year-old man who was convicted of terrible crimes during the Second World War. He alone was responsible for some 1,000 deaths in one of those prisoner of war camps. If you read his story, you remember that that man, now 87 years of old, age in Yugoslavia, was convicted of these crimes and sentenced to be executed by a firing squad. However, as the date came for him to be executed, his attorney sent word that he, his health had taken a turn for the worse and, and his doctors had certified that he was not in any condition to be executed. <laughs> he was not physically capable. And so they postponed his, his execution until his health improved. Now, and that may bother you, but that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, you have to... You have to have a little better health in order to be executed. You have to get better in order to be willing to repent. You have to get better before you're willing to talk about giving up your way. Something wonderful has to happen in your life. The fact that someone is willing to talk about changing the direction of their lives, the fact that someone is, is willing to talk about yielding the lordship of their lives is an indication that some health has come into that life. Something good has happened. They're, they're about ready to be crucified. They're about ready to yield up themselves. And you and I know what's happened. It's when we're surprised by His grace. We were expecting a warrior to come and jerk us straight. And instead, he sent a baby and offered us love and peace. We draw near to his holy sacrament and we're expecting to hear him say, You broke my body. And instead, he says, My body broken for you. We were surprised. We we grew up thinking we had to make atonement. The only way we could get forgiveness and be loved was to straighten up and live a perfect Christian life. And then we came to the joyous realization that He's already made atonement for us. And He just offers us the gift 
of an at-one-ment with our God. There isn't anything we have to do. There isn't anything we can do. It's a free gift of grace. In fact, some of us were surprised to discover that, that we cannot disqualify ourselves from that grace. As I struggled with God's claim on my life, I, I gave myself over to some months of trying to show him that I was a poor candidate for the ministry. But I discovered that his word of acceptance and grace came through my vulgarities and my obscenities and found me right in the middle of, the, of, of all that I had, the garbage I had put around my life. That he came through that and, and nothing I could do could disqualify me as one who was the recipient of his, of his grace. You want to know why we repent? It's because the good news melts our resistance. It's because his love melts our resistance. And we hear that good news and for the first time, we're willing to see ourselves for who we really are. It's the first time really we understand who we are. I remember a comment from that speaker who addressed a graduating class at Harvard. He said, in the Revolutionary War, we won over our fathers. In the Civil War, we won over our brothers. In the World Wars, we won over the world. But the greatest victory is the one when we win over ourselves. You have to have a measure of health to take a look at yourself. That's why it bothers me so much to continue to encounter church alumni. I'm talking about people who have somehow gotten beyond the church. Somehow they're, they're above the church and they don't associate with the rest of us fallible mortal beings at the church. They've, they've graduated now and they... They sneer at us with our imperfections and our faults and our failures. They're somehow beyond those things. And every time I hear someone talking like that, it, it tears me up inside because I know they don't even have a casual relationship with Christ. Instead of being a graduate student in the spiritual life, they don't even have a casual relationship with Christ because the moment they draw near to Him, they can never esteem themselves better than anyone else. To draw near to Christ, really near to Christ, is to make one more loving and more tolerant and more accepting because one sees oneself for what one really is. Saved by grace through faith in Christ. Emerson heard David Thoreau speaking once and he wrote a comment in his journal. A very perceptive comment, he said, if, as long as a man walks in his own way, everything is in his way. Everything is in his way. And you may be as I was when, when you come to the realization that everything is wrong. And if someone says, well, what? Show me what? And, and, and you can't point to anything. Maybe, maybe you're president of the MYF as I was and and, and active in church, and had always gone to church, and, and you can't point to any terrible evil which you do, but you know your life isn't going anywhere. Your life 
doesn't have any fulfillment about it. You're a flat-footed Christian. Nothing ever puts you on tiptoe. There isn't any excitement. There isn't any anticipation. And you, you know that there's another world out there and you haven't bought into it. And so something is wrong at the very core of yourself. And when someone asks, like my mother asked, what's wrong? You blurt out everything. And you can't even tell what it is. Repent. It presupposes that you've heard, you've received, you've been touched by some good news. And then believe it. In other words, take the good news at its word. That's what he's saying. Believe it. Atonement has been made. The price has been paid. And it's a, it's a free gift. Believe it. Believe the gospel. Believe it like Paul believed it. On the side of that little prison in Philippi, at one time you could see the plaque. Stirred thrills me just to remember it. For me to live is Christ, he said. For me to live is Christ. That's what believing into Jesus Christ means. For me to live is Christ. If you take away, if you take away what I believe, he was saying, the lights would go out in my sky. Is that the way it is for, for you? If someone took away your faith in Christ, would that put the lights out in your sky? When Paul talked about being ready finally to depart when his work was done, the word for departure was the same word used to describe the unyoking of a weary animal and releasing that animal from the cart or from the plow. He was so yoked up with Christ that when he spoke of his departure, did you ever see a horse or a work animal so tired from having run or plowed that at the end of the day, when finally they were released from their chains and their harness with knees trembling with fatigue, they would buckle those knees and with a groan, roll in the dry, dusty earth in an attempt to refresh themselves. Paul is saying, when I am released from this life, it will be like a, an exhausted animal crashing to the ground with a groan. He was going to be yoked up, linked up with Jesus Christ, and for him to live was Christ. He was everything to him. And that's how we're called to believe the gospel. And then I, I know I knew he couldn't leave us there because it has to be more than that. We have to show it. It's like Nora Wayne who, who wrote a book in the late 30s. It was a book about Hitler. It was exposing his, his terrible deeds and she was taken prisoner, and, and they said to Nora Wayne about her book, if you'll rewrite that book and make Hitler, if you'll put him in a favorable light, we'll, we'll let you go. And she said, I'm willing to forfeit my life, but I'll never let go of my beliefs. I'll die for them. And our God has a way of of showing in that right conclusively, just do we really believe it? 
Have we really repented? Because just after this message calling for repentance and belief in the gospel, he follows with that call, follow me. He said it to Andrew and Peter. He said it to James and John. He says it to you and he says it to me. Will you follow me? That's the test. I remember the story about two American students who were listening to this uh, German philosopher. The philosopher had gone on and on and on. It was terribly dull. And finally, one of the uh, American students punched the other one and said, I'm ready to go. I can't stand it anymore. And the other one said, I agree. He's terribly dull. But let's wait until at least he uses a verb. Now you, you listen to a lot of people and you don't get many verbs. But when you look at Jesus Christ, that's about all he uses. Jesus is a verb man. What's he saying right here as he summarizes his ministry? Repent, believe, follow. Don't have to wait very long to get a verb from him. Follow me. I want you to be with me. Now, that's a very clear command, isn't it? Follow me because I want to make you fishers of men. Nothing could be plainer than that. We're to help him win people to the good news. We're to share the good news with other people that they might become a part of the kingdom movement. How can we possibly blur or obscure that? I want to make you fishers of men. I want you to share the good news with other people. Why do you suppose so many are still outside the kingdom? How is it that the good news has not yet permeated our society? Maybe even next door, across the street? I believe it's because we haven't followed as closely as we ought. I remember an old preacher I met in Camden, Arkansas. I was giving a series of sermons at the First Methodist Church in Camden, and they had put me up at a guest house out in the country. It's wonderful out there, plenty of open space. I could go for a jog, for a walk in the woods in the morning. It was a great place to stay. And I noticed about my second morning out there that, that there was an old man who was, who was always raking leaves, keeping the place up. He was a custodian for the area. I went over, we began to talk, and I discovered to my delight that he was a preacher. He'd been preaching the gospel in the same church for 30 years. And so we began to talk. And, and I started to learn some things from him. And I, I finally asked him, I said, how is it that the church in America is losing ground? Why is the church not growing in America? And he said, let me put it to you this way. He said, I can remember back in the beginning of my ministry when the church was growing. He said, I, 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 I believe it was because back in those days, sinners didn't have anywhere to hide. Everywhere a sinner went, that sinner was confronted by a Christian on the job in the place where they played, 
in the neighborhood, everywhere that sinner went, that sinner was confronted by a Christian. And now he said, you can't tell a Christian from a non-Christian. Oh, he said, the Christians go to church once in a while, about a third of them. But that's where the difference leaves off. Monday morning, they're all the same. And those, uh, those sinners, they don't want any part of it. Because they don't see any difference. They don't see any radical discontinuity between life with Christ and life without Christ. They don't see any difference. It's like that old train wreck I remember years ago reading about it up in North Carolina. Trussell was out and a train just went plunging over. It happened suddenly. They investigated it. Wasn't there some kind of warning device? Yes, they were waving a red flag. But after they looked at the flag, they discovered that it had faded through the years and could easily be mistaken as a white flag. Something is faded about the flag. And people aren't real clear. And oftentimes we like it that way. People aren't real clear about the color of the flag under which we are flying. And Jesus said, if the salt has lost its savor, it's lost its power to change or to convert, and it's good for nothing but to be trodden under foot of man. E. Stanley Jones told that not-so-funny little story about the boy who stole five dollars from his father. He was terrified. His conscience was bothering him. He was afraid to tell his daddy. Finally, he couldn't stand it. He went to tell him. Sure enough, his father was angry. But after a little while, he reached down and took his little son and put him on his knee and began to tell him how at one time he had stolen 13 dozen eggs from his mother and had sold them to get the money. And when he said that, the little boy smiled and slipped his arms around his father's neck and said, well then, Daddy, we're partners. Both of us are thieves. It's comfortable, isn't it? To go out into the world and be as the world. Just partners. It's always been hard to accept the burden of expectation. It's always been difficult to, to run up the flag that says the king is in residence in my heart. It's, it's hard to do that in a secular world that goes on saying even if God exists, he doesn't matter. And it's always been hard, and it takes courage for someone to say, He does matter. He makes a radical difference in my life. And then show the difference by living a consecrated life and following Jesus Christ. But oh, the power. You know, just about now, a lot of people are saying, I don't qualify, I can't. I can't live a life that good that will make people want to be a Christian. And I'm always comforted by the realization that Jesus 
never cleans his fish before he catches them. Did you ever notice that? He always catches them and then he cleans them. He didn't clean them before he caught them. He said to those old fishermen, follow me. And what did he say? I want you to make your life over. He said, you follow me and I will make you. I will make you fishers of men. My power within, I'll make you a consecrated person. All I'm asking from you is your cooperation, your yielding, your willingness to say yes. If you've ever read it, how could you ever forget the story of the conversion of H.C. Morrison? H.C. Morrison, for many years, the godly president of Asbury College and Seminary. H.C. Morrison was plowing in a field of corn one day, and a, and a circuit rider rode by there. Everyone knew what a godly man that circuit rider was, how consecrated his life. And as Morrison looked up and saw him riding his horse by the end of the road, something in the way he sat that horse something in the way he carried himself. And when Morrison saw him, he, he realized what a wonderful man this was, and it indicted him about how different his own life was. And so, as that circuit rider rode past, he fell on his knees, repented of his sins, and invited Jesus Christ to be his personal Savior. One radiant life through which Jesus Christ was shining, calling people to himself. That's the challenge for us. Some of us a year or so ago went to Top Copy Museum in Istanbul. We saw some of the mementos of Muhammad. Always saw swords and daggers and arrows and all kinds of things. And one of the most fascinating things we saw was a, a footprint. We we're all fascinated with footprints. Here was a, a footprint of, of Muhammad, supposedly, and it was set in pure gold. I thought I saw it, I, I remembered another footprint. On the top of the Mount of Olives, if you give them one American dollar, you can see a footprint of Jesus in plain old concrete. And as I thought uh, first about that footprint of Muhammad, and then I thought about the footprint of Jesus, I thought, you know, neither's worth a dollar, not even a quarter. The only footprint worth anything is the one you follow in your daily living. That's the only one that makes any difference. Are you following any steps in your living? If you are, you're going to be a herald of Christ. You're going to help us spread the good news. You're going to share Jesus everywhere you go. This morning, I invite you to come and join us in the work of spreading the kingdom's good news Maybe you don't have a church home, but you need one. Or maybe you've been coming long enough, you know this is where you want your membership to be. I encourage you to come. 
But more than that, I want to extend a different kind of invitation. If there are those of you present who have not been involved in our evangelism work here at First Church, but you would like to be involved, I want you to come forward and, and speak to Stan Copeland and commit yourself to this great ministry with us here. The invitation is for those of you who wish to join and for those of you who wish to commit yourself to this ministry. Will you stand as we sing our hymn of commitment? Dr. Henson, I'm pleased to introduce to our congregation Dora Lou LaCour, who comes to us by transfer of letter. Dora, we're delighted that you've come to join us in the mission of our church. I'm going to ask you if you renew your vows and promise to support the church with your prayers, your presence, your gifts, and your service. And if you will, say, I will. And it's a joy to receive you into this fellowship. Let your heart, therefore, be wholly true to the Lord our God, walking in his statutes and keeping his commandments, as at this day. Amen. 